We are in John chapter 16. We have come as far as verse 8. Verse 7 leads us into that where it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, notice, I will send him unto you. In 1426, he said, the Father will send him. Here he says, I will send him. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall speak, um, whatever he's shown, he shall speak whatever he hears, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. So the Lord now on this night of his betrayal, before he's handed over, and to the authorities, he's telling the disciples, look, and specifically the 11, the 11 of them, but of course this flows over to all of us in, in most ways. Um, he said, look, you know, the world's going to persecute you. I don't want you to be surprised. It hated me, it's going to hate you. It persecuted me, it's going to persecute you. It'd be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then he says, and the religious world's going to persecute you. Now, I don't want you to be shocked after I depart and think that I've left you here alone. That's not what's happening. The world's going to be tough. It's going to be antagonistic, he says. And I know, as I'm talking about going, that sorrow hath filled your hearts. Nevertheless, verse 7, I'm telling you the truth It is necessary, it's advantageous for you that I go away for if I go not away, the comforter, and we certainly need comfort, don't we? The comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. After the ascension on the day of Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit. He said, and when he is come, is where we are this morning, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When he is come, there's a person coming, a comforter, not a force, not the forces with you, not some power without personality. He, when he comes. So, you know, I grew up on the Pentecostal side of the church. That's great. A lot of great folks there. But the question can never be how much of the Holy Ghost do you have? The question always has to be, how much of you does the Holy Ghost have? How much of you does Jesus have? How much of you does the Father have? The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. 
And it says when he comes, three things. He said he's going to convict, convince. He's going to do something to the world, the world of unsaved men. You know, verses 8 to 11 tell us about the unsaved world. Then verses 12 to 15 tell us about the world of the disciples, you and I. But it says when he comes, he's going to convict the world. Now, that is a sentence that means a passing judgment, that word passing sentence. Uh, whether people believe or whether they don't believe, it doesn't matter. This is something the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's going to bring conviction to the world. It's going to bring conviction to the world, and some may turn, and it's going to bring conviction to the world to those who rebel and are damned. This is something the Holy Spirit does. And look, I say that because you have to realize this is not your job. Yes, we're to be salt and light. Certainly we're to share Christ with our loved ones and our friends. You and I can bring Christ to men, but only the Holy Spirit can bring men to Christ. So we should do those things, but we can't live with the sense that man, if I just had another chance, if I'd have only said this, or I've done that, or my kids, or my parents. It isn't your responsibility. It's the comforters. And the, Jesus says, necessary that I go, because if I, if I wouldn't, the comforter wouldn't come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And when he comes, he's the one. He's going to bring a conviction, not just conviction to hearts, but a conviction, like in a courtroom. He's going to bring a conviction. He says, he's going to convict the world, he says here in verse 8, of sin. Now, the ofs there, and in 9, 10, 11, each of is really concerning. He says he's going to come. He will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. And he lays those three things out and tells us what it is. He says, concerning sin, because they believe not on me. So the first thing that the, the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction to and against the world concerning, he says, here's the sin of all sins. This is whatever else the insane world is doing, whatever else needs to get straightened out, what else, whatever else we see on the news and think, ah, this needs to get fixed. Jesus said there's one thing that needs to get fixed. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction against the world for one reason, because they believe not on me. Because they believe not on me. That is the one unforgivable sin. That is the one sin that no one can be forgiven of. He doesn't say people can't be forgiven of their individual sins, because I have and you have. He's saying that the one sin the world can't be forgiven of is rebelling against a loving God who has sent his own son into the world that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. He says he's bringing conviction passing a sentence on this world because they believe not on me. That's the center sin of human history and of humankind and of our present nation and culture. People don't want to accept Jesus Christ, so they then become hardened. Look, 
You just watch the news. You see it going on around us now. The church turning against the church. The church turning against the church that says Jesus is the only way. Right? They tell us we're narrow-minded. I am. They tell me that I'm brainwashed. And I'm so thankful my brain was washed. (laughs) You should be thankful as well that my brain was washed. Right? The the world can't hack that. We, We see the... The protests, we see the morality, we see the things that are going on. We see the largest Satanist conference coming to Boston this month that the nation's ever seen. We're, we're, we're seeing these gatherings, and, and they're anti-Christ. There's a, there's a force behind them. And he says, the center of all of that, I'm, I'm passing a sentence against, uh, upon the world. There's a conviction of the world. And he said, primarily and firstly, because they believe not on me, the central sin that God is concerned with. Because all the rest is going to fade away. All the rest is going to disappear. And all that will matter will be those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're here today and you've never done that, please listen. Because it says here, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart while you're sitting here. You will, all, you will either soften to that or harden against it. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. Jesus said, you're for me or you're against me. And if here you're sitting here today and you feel like the Spirit is talking to your heart, then yield. If you're thinking, I don't want none of this, to heck with it, then you seal your destiny in outer darkness. But the only sin is in the middle of all that, Jesus said, they refuse to believe on me. That's the problem. And he says, then concerning righteousness, verse 10, he says, says, because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. The, the, The whole issue with Jesus is, and we hear about it, next week we're celebrating Easter. All the world knows that, whatever religion they are. And they know that Christians believe that Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father. You know, again, you think of all the other religious leaders that are in their tombs, all of the philosophers. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And the Bible, of course, tells us that some tried to say the disciples came and stole the body. Not so. He says, righteousness is a conviction the world has to deal with because I go to my father. The idea is if he, after his crucifixion, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, to the throne of God, that means what he accomplished and who he is was the perfect signature of righteousness because God Almighty accepted him into heaven when he was done his work. So he said, concerning sin, the world's, there's a conviction against the world because they believe not of me. Concerning righteousness, there's a conviction because I go to my Father and you're going to see me no more. The world's waiting to see him. We're waiting to see him again. But, and then he says... 
concerning judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is judged. It's interesting, it's, it's in a tense, it says he stands condemned. It's a perfect passive. He didn't condemn himself, God's condemned him. And, and his being stands in that place. It happened, it is happening, it will happen. Judgment has come upon him. And, and the reason he's saying that, look, behind all this hatred, behind the things in this world, behind what, I can be a newsaholic and it drives me nuts. Then I have to go get brainwashed again after I watch the news, right? You see what's going on all around us, and we can just get this attitude. We can get caught up on it. No, no, listen. All of that bothers you because behind that, there's a malevolent force. Taking advantage of human beings, taking advantage of politics, taking advantage of religious systems, making sure people are getting slaughtered this morning. And the blood of image makers is, is running into the ground while the prince of this world is laughing. He's mocking. And anyone who follows him will follow him to his doom, to what is sentenced upon him. You follow the one who's risen from the dead, who bore our sins, you have eternal life. Anyone who follows the prince of this world will receive his doom as well. And that's not what God intended. Matthew tells us this. It says, then shall he say also to them on the left hand, those that are lost, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It says here that hell, God never intended it for human beings. It was prepared for the devil and for his angels. Revelation 20 tells us this. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him, the reason that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he is loosed for a little. And then it tells us, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. That is his destiny for those who would follow him. Hell is not created for humankind, but for the devil and for his angels, the fallen ones. It tells us here he's bound that he would not deceive the nations anymore. That's what's going on around us. As Christians, you and I should sense that now. There's a darkness. We've crossed lines we should have never crossed. Insanity is being accepted as normalcy. We see it all around us. And there's evil now being promoted and accepted. And what we believe is now being rejected, we now have become, you know, the, 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 the ones who cause the problems. We're the haters. We're making people sin. And what's all behind that is the prince of this world. Jesus talks about him a number of times in John's gospel. 
He said, concerning judgment, because the prince of this world is judge. He stands judged. Satan's schemes, his machinations, his determining to make Jesus and his work on the cross irrelevant, irreceivable, to discredit him, to destroy him by religious authorities and political authorities. It's going on all around us. All of that is completely destroyed by the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of that was destroyed. All of those machinations. They're alive in the world. They're coming around. You know, we know Christians that are being martyred and persecuted. This world is antagonistic. And he's saying behind all of that, there is the prince of this world. And he already stands judged, he tells us here. Jesus had said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Doesn't mean the church is attacking hell and the gates are there and the church will break down the gates. Doesn't mean the gates of hell are going to chase you down the street. When you go to Israel, many are you going this year. When you sit in the gate, the gate was the place where the rulers, the political leaders, the military leaders would sit and come up with their schemes for warfare and so forth. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Hell's plans, what is being concocted there. And there's evil all around us, we see it. But it has not prevailed, and it will not prevail. And you and I will stand on the other side and be witness to all of that. What a day. What a day that will be. So... He goes on then in verse 12. Now he starts to speak to the 11 and certainly to us. We'll see that as we go in. He says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. By the way, that's for those of you that are teachers or teaching. That's that's if he's our example, that's that's a good thing to take note of. Moms, dads, grandparents. I have many things to say but you're not ready to bear them now, which means you're going to hear this later. But now, you know, so it's good practice sometimes for us to give what's needed, what will be accepted, what will be nourishing, what will be encouraging. And even Jesus said, I've got other things to say, but you're not ready to bear them now. The word bear there is used in chapter 19 when he was bearing the cross. Uh, It's used in Acts chapter 15 about the law burden that neither us or our fathers was able to bear. It means being under the weight of something. And Jesus said, I have many things to say to you guys, but you're not ready to bear them. And then the word now is emphatic. You're not ready to bear them now in particular, contrasting it with the future. There's a now there that he's saying. And he knows that that night they were not ready to hear about and understand Gethsemane being taken by the soldiers, going through numerous trials. 
being beat beyond human recognition, having his beard ripped out, being spit upon, coming before Pilate, being scourged, being mocked and beaten by the soldiers, crown of thorn upon his head, hung on the cross, sun refuses to shine for hours, Jerusalem begins to tremble and it shakes. They weren't ready to understand all that at this point. They weren't ready to bear it. But when he rose from the dead and he met with them again in the upper room, when he rose from the dead and he walked with them for 40 days and 40 nights, they were ready then to hear. These things then began to make sense to them. So he says, how be it, verse 13, which is a fancy King James word for but, But when he, there's a masculine here, that spirit of the truth, that spirit is masculine. So it's he, when he, when the person of the Holy Spirit comes and he calls him that spirit of the truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he shall not speak of himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He says, you're not ready to bear them now, but. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of the truth. He doesn't say the spirit of truths, plural. He's talking about one truth here that every believer has access to. The spirit, definite article, it's a particular spirit. The spirit of the truth. There's one truth that he's speaking of that will communicate. Look, you you go through the New Testament. Here it is the spirit of the truth. In 14.6, Jesus said, I am, in counter distinction to all others, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says in chapter 17, while he's praying, verse 17, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He doesn't say thy word is true. He says thy word is truth. And you and I remarkably are able to hear today things that the apostles couldn't hear this night by his spirit that's come to us and upon us and within us. We have truth, Jesus himself being the truth, the spirit of the truth indwelling us, the word of God, which is truth, open before us, written by these men here. The quill would go to the page and the spirit of the truth, Second Peter one twenty one, that says that holy men of old, they were moved when the spirit caused them to write. So anything here in the scripture is from the spirit. It is the truth, the word of God. John started his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, logos, the word. And that the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. We behold his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you and I have this remarkable thing. The world is condemned because they don't believe on Jesus. You and I believe on Jesus. We have the truth. The Holy Spirit 
is bringing conviction on the world. He's bringing truth to us. We have him. We have the word that he wrote here. Jesus says when he comes, he won't speak of himself. He's not saying that the Holy Spirit, when he inspires scriptures, won't say anything about himself. Because from Genesis to Revelation, the scripture, inspired by the spirit of truth, says many things about the spirit. When he says he won't speak of himself, the the Greek there is he won't speak from himself as an origin. The Holy Spirit is not going to speak from himself. He says whatever he hears, that will he speak. So the Spirit is in concert with the Father and with the Son. The Trinity all speak the same thing. There's no difference at all. And he says that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he says, he's going to guide you into all the truths. There's a, a different group of people at different times need to be guided. One of the Puritans I read said, blind men need to be guided. And I did. And I'm so thankful he, he guided me. He said, those that are too weak to walk by themselves need to be guided. And I was, and I still am in many ways. And I'm so thankful for his guidance. It says those who are on a pilgrimage, they're on a journey somewhere they've never been before, they need to be guided. And that's us. That's us. We're going to get there. When we get there, we're going to be somewhere we've never been before. Though it's in our hearts, though we know about it. And for everybody here that's struggling with something, one nanosecond on the other side, everything's fixed. Everything. Health problems, family problems, national problems, hate problems. One second on the other side, it's all fixed. And then we have eternity to grow in that. Ah. (laughs) He will guide you. I need a guide. How wonderful this divine person is my guide and your guide. And he guards, he guides us into all of the truth. Look, if he's going to be our guide, it also speaks of a yieldedness. You can't let someone guide you you're not willing to yield to. That's how Christians get in trouble all the time. So I get in trouble. He's there. He brings conviction to my heart. He wants to guide me. But get me in traffic or get me in a situation as I'm an impatient human being. Get me, you know, and sometimes I know the Lord's saying to me, the Holy Spirit's saying to me, just calm down. How do you know that's not an angel driving in front of you? <laughs> that I put you there to slow you down so you wouldn't get in an accident. How do you know I didn't send this person to you to hear truth? And for him really to be my guide, I have to be willing to yield. And it's when we, we get ourselves in trouble, when we are, we're not willing to yield. There's a yieldedness insinuated by the fact that this Holy Spirit of truth takes the role, the comforter. He comes alongside, and part of why he does that is to guide us, to guide us. 
It's obviously, it's always, it, we should be moving in the right direction. It's always easier to, to steer a moving cart than one that's stuck in a mud. So we're, we're cooperative, but there, there's a place here where I believe he's asking for yieldedness. And if we'll grant that, he takes us into all truth. Look, he gives us light. He gives us sight. We need both of those to be guided. If you have light and you don't have sight, you're blind. Light does you no good at all. If you have sight and you have no light, the darkness is there. That doesn't do you any good at all. He, he remarkably, he opens our eyes. He gives us sight. He gives us light upon our path. And we should be willing to yield to him in regards to those things. How be it when he, the spirit of the truth, is come, he will guide you into all of the truth. For he shall not speak from himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And Jesus, I love, ties this on the end, and he will show you things to come. He's not going to speak of himself, whatever he hears. Look, Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 26, that the Father will send the Comforter. He says here in verse 7 that I will send the Comforter. So if the Comforter comes from the Father and from the Son, he's not going to speak. So I'm not speaking of myself. I'm going to speak what I hear from the Father and from the Son. The Trinity is in complete agreement on every issue. Certainly, you and I have the word written by these men this night that weren't ready to hear but that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every word of it put to the page, it's inerrant. It's perfect. It's inspired. And through that, studying this chapter, Jesus is able to say to us, by his spirit, things that he was saying to them as well. And I love the fact where it says, and he shall show you, announce... Uh, broadcast. He's going to show you things that are coming. Not some things. Literally, it's the things. You and I are to see the things. Not some things. The things. We know it's coming, don't we? We know it's happening around the world. We know what's going to happen in Europe. We know what's going to happen in the Middle East. We know what's going to happen with the kings of the East. We know what's going to happen in regards to wars and rumors of wars and famine and pestilence. We know what's going to happen in regards to things waxing worse and worse. We know what's going to happen in regards to the fact that the last days will be characterized by lawlessness. If you don't believe me, go home and turn the TV on. And as all of that grates on us, we let this guide speak to us about the things to come. How remarkable. So he then is also the spirit of hope, the blessed hope, which is truth. And he brings that to us. You know, again, I think Jesus... One out of four verses in the Bible, 25% of the Bible, is prophecy. 
by far, the broadest subject in the New Testament is the return of Jesus Christ. That's because you have a groom speaking to his bride. You have a father speaking to his children. You have a savior speaking to his beloved. And he says, one of the things you need to know is when this spirit of truth comes and he guides you into all truth, he's going to talk to you about what's coming too. Because Jesus is more anxious for that day than we are. He knows the fullness of it. He'll show you things to come. He says in verse 15 or verse 14, he shall glorify me. So if you go to a Holy Ghost meeting, it's probably not a Holy Ghost meeting. If you go to a Jesus meeting, it probably is a Holy Ghost meeting. He shall glorify me for he shall receive of what's mine and shall show it unto you. He's going to receive of what's mine. Well, what is his? Well, he tells you in verse 15, all things that the father hath are mine. There isn't anything that the Father and the Son don't have. He's not going to speak of himself. He's going to take the things that are mine, Jesus said, which are all things, and he's going to show them to you. Therefore, I said that he shall take, that's a timeless present tense, that he is taking of mine and will show it to you. The Spirit is in that business today, taking the things of Christ showing them unto us. Look, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he's going to bring all things to remembrance. He's, he's the Holy Spirit that speaks of your past. And you and I, he constantly reminds us, the world refuses to believe, but you and I believe Jesus died for our sins. And we've never been loved by, that, by anyone like that, but sometimes we wrestle. We go back and it says, the Holy Spirit reminds us of our past. The Holy Spirit working in us, speaking to us, reminds us of our present. The Holy Spirit's going to tell us about things to come. He's our guide in past, present, and future truth. All of us have that. When we don't yield, we make a mistake. That's on us. When we refuse to let Jesus be Lord in our homes, and our marriages, and whatever it may be. He wants to be. That's our unyieldedness. But everyone in this room knows the truth if you have the Holy Spirit. Everyone in this room, if we sin or we compromise, we do something we shouldn't do, we know that because he's guiding, he's wrestling with us there. There's, it's inescapable. You know, again, I have people come to me sometimes, you know, on a Sunday and say, Pastor Joe, you know, marijuana is legal now. You know, I feel like the Lord told me it's okay for me to smoke. And, and I'm, I look at them and think, you know, I'm born again, not born yesterday, bub. But I say, you got the same Holy Ghost that I have. Don't give me any of that baloney. The Holy Ghost will tell you it is not cool to be stoned. You want to be high just wait, it's going to happen. Higher than you can imagine. But not here. You want to be cool? Don't go in that direction because that could be pretty hot. You want to be cool? Walk with Jesus because where we're going is really cool. 
And I say that brainwashed. Because I wasn't before. You're here today, you don't know Christ, you have a choice to make. Not what I'm saying, not what's happening, whatever's happening in your heart right now by the Holy Ghost. And you'll give, an account, you'll give account to that in eternity. If it softens you and you're ready to believe on Jesus, you can do that today. As we sing this last song, you get out of your seat, you come forward. If a friend is with you, they'll say, come on, I'll go down with you. We want to give you an opportunity to come and change your eternal destiny. Because it's gone one way or another. You don't have a middle ground. There's no other choice. But if you need to get saved, you need to get saved today. We don't know what tomorrow is bringing. And for the rest of us, it's a great day just, and tonight I encourage you to come to prayer. We're going to be praying about this. Lord, guide me. Show me how to get through this present circumstance. Strengthen me. I'm too weak to do this on my own, so guide me. I, I, I can't see clearly, Lord. Guide me. I, I know I'm, I'm in journey, Lord. Help me to set my affection on things above here. Guide me. We have that great promise from Jesus to all of us that believe. Let's stand. Let's pray together. I encourage you not to run out. Please stay and pray for those that may be here that are going to come and get saved today. We're, we're waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to be gathered in. Then we're out of here. And don't run out. Pray that it might be someone here today. Walks forward, says the prayer. The trumpet blows. We're gone. Right? It sounds good to me, too. It sounds good to us because we have been brainwashed. Because we believe. The unsaved world, what does it think when we tell them, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming. He's going to descend with a, with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Trumpet's going to blow, and we're all going to disappear. Your friends are thinking you need professional help. I know, I know a good psychologist. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit makes those things real to us. He will show you, announce to you things to come. And we have a blessed hope, and it's real to us because of him. I don't know what your hope is without Christ. It can't be the United Nations. It can't be Washington. It can't be Moscow. It can't be Bill Gates. I mean, what is, your, what is your hope without Jesus? And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you as we sing this last song, get out of your seat, come down, stand here. We want to give you a Bible, some literature. We want to pray with you. We don't want your address. We don't want your phone number. We don't, we, we don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. So did God when he sent his son. Father, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you, Lord. And Lord, we, we uh, in our lives, Lord, in church, we, we, Lord, we want to do what you want us to do. We look forward to the day that we are well done. And Lord, as we're here in this journey, thank you so much for the promise of your spirit. Lord, help us to know you through him as he takes things that are yours and reveals them to us. And Lord, we pray for those here today who, who have never come. If there's anyone here like that, Lord, we know you've passed sentence on the world. And some will be softened, some will be hardened. So Lord, we do pray by your spirit, any here who have never come to you, Lord, today would be the day. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. We trust you to do that, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.